today. Let's bring in Todd Lewis on this Aloha Friday. Todd, Kyle Morikawa got off to a hot start yesterday, 9 under 64. What are some of the changes that have led to this success? Wow, a lot of changes since basically the end of last year. First, in regards to equipment, he helped develop with his manufacturer a brand new set of irons. And this is the second competitive tournament that he's used those irons. And he's got a brand new driver in his bag. He hasn't switched drivers since turning professional. He's had the same driver since 2019. So there's those equipment changes, but mostly in regards to his team. Now, he is still working with Rick Sessinghouse, who was his longtime coach, been a coach with for Collins since he was a kid back in Southern California. He also works on his mental game as well. But he's added a putting coach last fall, Stephen Sweeney, and basically has helped him a lot in regards to speed uh, on the greens. That has really a big, been a big emphasis for Colin Morikawa. And he putted very well yesterday. Right now he is sixth in the field in strokes gained putting. But recently he started working with Parker McLaughlin on his short game. Now he's really struggled chipping around the greens, especially on tight Bermuda lies. And he said the reason is because when he strikes his irons that he has his left wrist bowed. And because of that, he uses that formula when he's around the green as well. Well, Parker is working with Colin and trying to take that bend out of his wrist while he's chipping, keeping him basically his hand still. And he feels like that's a better approach for him around greens. And it's work it worked for him yesterday, too. He was, uh, in regards to strokes gained around the green, he was third in the field. So he's chipping and putting better, at least early uh, in 2023. We'll see if that continues. But his attitude is positive as well. He seems very confident with his game, and he seems like he's got the right support around him to help him get better in 23. Oh, this does tend to be a season of change for a lot of guys starting the year, whether it's the team around them, sponsors, equipment. What about John Rahm, who's tied with Colin Morikawa at the top? Anything new in his world this week? Well, you look at his round yesterday. John Rahm had a very strong opening round, that 63, uh, 64, excuse me. But there's one glaring mistake in regards to the statistical issues of his round. And John talked about it after his uh, round yesterday. I like to be a little bit more comfortable off the tee. You know, started well, but I think I hit four fairways today. And I, I know a lot of those out here are like the cases like the tee shot on one where you hit a nigga shot and it simply just rolls through the fairway. But, um, you know, my tee shot on nine, got lucky. I uh, had a few of them, but that, that got, you know, I got good breaks on them and was able to capitalize. So I like to eliminate that stress to more. Everything else is really good. Actually hit five greens, five, uh, five fairways, I should say, five of 15 fairways in his round. So that is dead last in the field in regards to driving accuracy. But he made up for it in other ways. In regards to hitting the greens, he was 17 of 18. That leads the field. And strokes gained putting, 3.775. That is number one in the field. He made a lot of putts, over 140 feet of putts yesterday. So he, those aspects of his game helped make up for his driving accuracy problem so he's hoping to get it back going today he's got a brand new driver in his bag that he has been testing and yesterday was the first time he put that driver in play competitively so we'll see if he's a little better uh, has a little better control today off the tee I know it's there aren't many people out there on the putting green Todd but I'm curious if you've had any comments on your sartorial elegance today because that's quite the striking shirt you're wearing huh well um First off, I, I hear the sarcasm. Uh, 
Uh, secondly, that's a cheap shot. Thirdly, I feel like you're kind of insulting the culture here in Hawaii. This is Aloha Friday, so you wear this appropriate shirt. And finally, I, you know, I, I don't have a monitor. I can't see what you're wearing, but I'm guessing it's an ugly sweater. <laughs> We're into January now. You're only supposed to wear ugly sweaters during Christmas. So think about that. For the holiday season, you're not very jolly. Do you know that? Yeah. Thank you. Started it. As my as my daughter says, you started it. <laughs> For the record, I like the shirt, Tilu. I'm an XL, so if you have an XL, you, you bring it back to the States. Great having Tilu. Yes, I, should I say. will. You enjoy, enjoy the cozy comfort of that studio. Today. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. The Continental 48, of course. Okay, enough about this shirt. How about the leaderboard? And how about these leaders? I'm fascinated by what you think about John Rahm. I said it before. I walked away from Wisconsin thinking he was the best player on the planet by far. He just has this kind of honest irritability about him. He shoots nine under, and I still get the sense that he's not completely happy with where he is in the game, in the world, with the questions that are directed to him. What do you see with John Rahm after round one? Still the search for perfection, mm. I guess. I mean, he did mention that, uh, as Todd pointed out, he was dead last in accuracy off the tee. He only hit five of the 14 fairways mm. that he aimed at. This is a golf course where that isn't really a reflection of very much because it's so heavily contoured that you can hit the middle of fairways as on a links course and find yourself right. suddenly in the first cut. So it's not really a reflection on accuracy. And he did pipe one 404 yards out there yesterday as well, which would make a year for some of us. But he was number one in putting and he only missed one green during the course of the day. And he shoots nine under. He's, as I said, 42 under par for his last five rounds there. Yeah. I think John Ram carries himself like a guy who believes he is the number one player in the world, regardless of what the rankings say, regardless that Rory McIlroy is up there, and regardless of the fact that there are four guys mm. ahead of John Ram in that world ranking. I think John Ram absolutely believes that he's the number one player in the world, and he's a little bit testy that other people don't seem to agree with yeah. him on that. And you could make an argument. He's, he's certainly the most informed player in the world. If he goes on and wins this week, it would be his third win and his last five starts after winning the DP World Championship in Dubai and the Spanish Open yeah. last fall. I think he's an extremely dangerous player right now. The motivation is there. He talks about setting his goals so high, and they're almost unreachable, but that's what the greats do. He knows that he may not year-to-year -year reach exactly what he wants. He brings up Tiger Woods' name more than I do in terms of what he did and what he accomplished. And other than Tiger, you know, we're not going to win 30% of our starts, but you know that deep down he believes that there is a place for him on the small table of great champions. He brings up Tiger and Nicholas and Seve. He knows whose names are in that record book. Doesn't that remind you though of that incident we had a little while ago with Morikawa when he got a little testy when Trevor yes. Immelman referred to his ceiling and Trevor and I think Colin kind of misinterpreted the comment, yeah. but this idea of what his ceiling is, and he doesn't think he's anywhere close mm. to what his ceiling is. And he's another guy there at, at nine under par. And I, I touched in this morning with his putting coach, Stephen Sweeney, to ask what they'd worked on, because this is the time of the year where statistics don't mean anything. Strokes right. gain means nothing because there were so few events have been played. Zozo didn't keep statistics. Dan and Mayakoba, the statistics were sparsely kept, so it doesn't really reflect anything. So if you look at the strokes gain rank yesterday, 
This is where Colin Marikawa came in. His typical strengths are ball striking. Off the tee, strokes gain approach, he's very much the norm. That's kind of average by Colin Marikawa's standards. But that strokes gained around the green where he's third. I mean, on tour last year, he was 152nd on tour. And the strokes gained putting, that's an interesting one. He's sixth in the field yesterday. If you went <coughs> to the ShotLink website, he's ranked 222nd this season mm. on the PGA Tour, which is laughable. In, in theory, only two guys are worse putters on tour than Colin Marikawa. That's a reflection of how unreliable the stats are this yeah. early in the season when he's played so sparingly. But when I talked to Stephen Sweeney, he said what they'd worked on was the idea of getting a more fluid backswing so that mm. he didn't feel as though he had to put a hit on the ball coming through. And that was essentially working towards the idea of speed control to be more fluid on the backstroke more fluid going through and the results of it are pretty evident so far. Well, fascinating what you said also in your reporting that there was a time that Colin didn't know when he was putting well, why he was putting well, and when he was struggling, why he was struggling. He says he's checked every box from the full swing to the short game, now working with Parker McLaughlin as they did last week, hoping to get Parker, UCLA Bruin, PGA Tour winner on the show next week, and Steven Sweeney, Sweeney with the putting. He said that he needs to show more gratitude going into 2023, but you could tell Going winless last year did not sit well with Colin Morikawa. No, that burned him. And he, he seems to be a guy who's coming out this year with a sense of purpose that's much more perceptive mm. and, and perceptible mm. than it was last year. Colin Morikawa sometimes criticized, uh, uh, scrutinized about his putting. So is this young man, Will Zalatoris. You see him getting ready for his 3.35 p.m. Eastern tea time. Looking forward to seeing Will Zalatoris healthy back in action making his 2023 debut. And coming up, Annika Sorenstam. She retired more than 14 years ago, but we're seeing a little more of her these days. Last month, it was the PNC Championship with her son, Will. This month, she's playing another pro celebrity event. Annika will join us after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Continue to look ahead to the new year. Welcome in our pal, Golf Channel senior writer Ryan Lavner with those Georgia paraphernalia behind him. Buddy, what's your biggest takeaway from round one at Kapalua? 
Well, Damon, I heard you guys in the previous segment talking about Kyle Morikawa and kindly, finally addressing the glaring deficiencies that he has in his game, and I'm, I'm totally with you. If he can kind of shore up those areas of his game, you combine that with his ball striking, woo, look out, he's certainly going to get his in 2023. But unfortunately, I think the biggest takeaway for me from day one at Kapalua was the health and status of Xander Shoffley, the world number six, has been battling a back injury over the past couple of months. It's really the first time that he's had a back issue in his career. And so talking to reporters on Thursday, he was kind of vague about the details because he's really unsure about what's happening. He did say he was likely to undergo an MRI next week when he gets back home. What we do know is that it affected him at the Hero World Challenge. He withdrew from the uh, Pro-Am here at Kapalua, and he was kind of, quote, powder puffing it around in the opening round on a golf course where he's fared very well historically shooting just three under and so I'm not ready to sound the alarm bells yet but it's certainly something that you want to keep monitoring. Xander was slated for a very busy stretch to open the new year five <coughs> events uh, in his first seven starts of the new year so I'm very curious to see where we go from here and if he has to take a little bit of time off. Ryan, Morikawa and Shoffley would be considered two guys that maybe have something to prove in 2023 in terms of what they did last year and taking that next step or in some case in Morikawa's case re-establishing himself having gone from number two to number 11 in the world rankings are they among the players you're looking at in 2023 to make a statement or is there someone else on your radar there's someone else for me Eamon and for me it's Will Zalatoris and I've talked to Damon about this on the show I think he is the next superstar in the game and it's interesting because I think he actually combines a lot of attributes that you see from the top players. He has the golf IQ of a Jordan Spieth. He has kind of the insatiable hunger that John Rahm or Justin Thomas shows. He certainly has a sublime iron play that Colin Morikawa has shown. So that's all part of the fabric of Will Zalatoris' game and his personality. I think now he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You think about all that was lost because of those two herniated discs in his back. He had a chance to win $18 million in the FedEx Cup's top prize. He was going to play on his first cup team at the President's Cup. He was in line to have a top finish at the race to Dubai on the DP World Tour as well. And so I like the fact he didn't rush his recovery. You look at him yesterday in the opening round, uh, he looks like he's gained muscle, he's gained strength, his speed is exactly where he was hoping it was going to be. So I would expect Maybe a little bit of rust over these first couple of starts, but I think he's going to have a very big year and elevate to a new level in 2023. Laugh, we've got these designated events, the majors, the players, uh, the calendar is really robust with fantastic spots. What event are you most anticipating in the new year? I almost changed my answer listening to some of the players earlier this week at Kapalua talking about how much they were looking forward to the awkwardness of the Champions Dinner at the Masters. And certainly I think that is going to be a little bit of a show. But I think the obvious answer, certainly from a storytelling perspective at Golf Channel, is going to be the Ryder Cup. There's so much pressure that's going to be on this U.S. Ryder Cup team having not won on foreign soil in 30 years. You have to wonder, like, if not now, when this team is going to be absolutely loaded it has this is a squad that has little to no scar tissue it's going to be kind of a makeshift european squad with some big time question marks at the back end of that roster and really a, a venue in marco simone that you're not going to have that traditional home course advantage like we've seen so many european setups have 
in the past. And so I think it's going to be a great Ryder Cup. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people anticipate. And from a storytelling perspective, I think that's going to be the event that I'm most looking forward to. Did he just describe the European Ryder Cup team as makeshift? They're dangerous, in, in the defense of my <laughs> home continent, there have always been a lot of question marks at the back end of the European team, but it hasn't actually made a lot of difference over the last 35 or 40 years. I'm actually curious, Ryan, do you think it's overplayed this idea that the European team has been so fatally weakened by, by defections to live? Because that tended to be the captain class that left more so than the playing class. More American players actually defected, mm -hmm. but they just have a deeper bench to fill in those gaps. Do you think it's overstated that Europe has problems putting together a competitive team? No, I don't think they have any problems putting together a competitive team. There's certainly some institutional knowledge that has been lost when you're not going to have a Lee Westwood, a Sergio Garcia, an Ian Poulter, a Henrik Stenson. But that's really, that, that onus now falls on Luke Donald and his assistant captains. You can certainly fill the leadership void there, the experience void there. I would rather have the best players in the world, whether it was a Sepp Straka, a Seamus Power, players like that, fill out the back end of that roster than perhaps a 40-something who really hasn't showed anything at all, and they're just kind of relying on his Ryder Cup pedigree. Ryan Lavender with us on this Friday, clearly thinking about golf, but also the national championship and his Georgia Bulldogs. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back to Golf Today. Just a reminder, you can catch second round coverage of the Century Tournament of Champions at 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel. Speaking of champions, let's flash back. 1995, that year Annika Sorenstam picked up the first major championship at the U.S. Women's Open. She started that final round five strokes off the lead, but rallied to beat Meg Mallon by a single shot. Then fast forward 11 years, 2006, saw Sorenstam win her 10th and last major in the LPGA Tour. She beat Pat Hurst in an 18-hole Monday playoff at Newport Country Club. The victory was her third in the U.S. Women's Open. If I recall, Pat asked for Annika's autograph as they're walking up to that 18th green. It's a career to be respected, envied in some ways. Ten majors, 72 LPGA wins, eight-time Rolex Player of the Year on the LPGA, inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 2003 and won that 2021 U.S. Senior Women's Open just down the road from us 
at Golf Channel Studios and the Hall of Fame will be teeing it up later this month in the celebrity portion of the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. Annika joins us now. It's always great to spend time with you and you're a bit of a competitive vagabond at this time of life. You do the celebrity golf, but also some senior golf, PNC, LPGA golf. You're a mom always. How would you classify yourself right now as a competitor? Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm nibbling a little bit everywhere. I'm not really sure where I belong. Uh, don't play as much as maybe I should, but it's fun to get invites low here and there and kind of keep my game sharp and, you know, be around the fans and my supporters and my family. It's uh, I'm kind of enjoying it. Well, speaking of your family, to see Will rolling in those putts at the PNC was so fun. What <laughs> did you take away from your time with your son inside the ropes? Well, I, I can't stop smiling. I mean, it was such an amazing week. And obviously, thank you to PNC for giving us this opportunity. I mean, he loves the game so much. And you can see on this putt right here, he has a lot of feel and he loves it. I mean, it's just so much fun. And to walk inside the ropes with him and, and share the memories. Mike was on the bag, as you can see there. My dad was actually uh, right there. And it was just incredible. I mean, he has so much respect for all the golfers out there. So for him to get a chance, you can imagine, to hit balls next to Tiger or to to Jordan or, or Justin Thomas. I mean, he's been, he's been smiling from ear to ear since. <laughs> Annika, when you approach an event like the PNC Championship with Will or even the Hilton Grand Resorts Tournament of Champions that you're going to play the pro celebrity portion of later this month, is your mindset any different from how you approach tournament play when it was actually your day-to-day -day job? Well, there's a few things that are different. I mean, my expectations are not the way they used to be, but I think... You know, the mindset of just being a competitor and wanting to do the best and, you know, the, the feeling of the adrenaline is, is always there. And I, I'm sure it will always be there, too. And I, I enjoy that. Obviously, I'm not coming into tournaments as prepared as I used to be. I don't have as much time to get ready. Um, however, I try to, you know, maintain my game a little bit, you know, a few hours a day practice and a little bit of gym time. And but of course, as you know, a lot of businesses and family and foundation work, it does get in the way. But. You know, there's nothing like being out there and walking in the fairways and hanging out with, you know, whether it's the players, the LPJ, which is what I'll be facing uh, here at, the, you know, Lake Nona, or the celebrities that I play with. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. And what we've seen of you playing with celebrities in the U.S. Women's Senior Open, it, it's given us this sense that the competitor is still in there and the competitor <laughs> hasn't entirely retired, even though it was 14 years ago you walked away. Will we see much of you this year outside of pro-celebrity or family events, will you enter a, a conventional tour event again? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it is uh, it is hard at this age. I mean, the players are, you know, they're so competitive and so good. And it's just, you know, I'm just not there in my life. And, you know, honestly, I, I have achieved everything I want to achieve. And it's hard to get that extra motivation that you need to be out there all day long and grind and get better. And so, you know, I'm actually pretty happy with kind of my schedule and, I know for a fact it won't be more. It's hard to balance everything. And, you know, my body at times will, will let me know that it's too much. So I got to listen to that and just kind of do what I can and enjoy it. But, you know, it's been, it's been terrific to really pick up the game. And Will has a lot to do with it. And, of course, my partners that I'm still involved with has, you know, been there for me. And, and you know, I still want to be involved a little. But uh, Will's interest for the game is really taking me out there, just spending time with him. And then I might as well practice. And then I do it. And then I really enjoy it again. <laughs> Well, Annika, when athletes from other sports and singers and actors approach you for help or, or wisdom, what is the one question you get asked more than any other? Well, a lot of it is balance, you know, balance in life and, in you know, how do you learn 
to achieve your goals, but still kind of have a life outside the competition. So I think, you know, just scheduling and managing and a lot of it has also been, you know, partners. How do you manage partners and how do you make the most of your relationships and so forth? I mean, of course, I, I can only speak from experience. I've been there and done a lot what they are doing. But, you know, I think when you step away from the game of golf, you see things a little differently, especially when you have a family, you realize what's important in life and what, you know, what are the things that needs to be prioritized. Um, but I do that. And, I you know, I think just spending time with some of the, the young players that have played in, you know, the Annika Invitational or just initiatives through the Annika Foundation, just to maintain that friendship and the mentorship that I have with some of the players is, you know, it's inspiring for me as well. And and I think it's important to, you know, have the foot in the game and just kind of be relevant in different ways so I can help and get back. Annika, you said earlier it's it's difficult to find that extra motivation to go back to competition. Is the first ever women's major at Pebble Beach enough of a motivation to get your interest? Because you have to imagine the USGA would welcome you if you wanted to play. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that conversation comes up quite a bit. <laughs> but, you know, it is Pebble Beach, which is obviously everybody's bucket list. And, you know, I hear it, but I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I want to give the other players today just so much respect and the hard work. And I mean, you just can't come out and just, you know, try to, play against them and play these courses, you know, it, it takes a lot more than that. And, you know, but I have been asked to play and I appreciate that very much. But again, you want to have respect for everybody else. And, and so, I, I mean, I don't really think so. It's difficult the way it is. And, but, you know, it's, it's all, I mean, I just want to say, I think it's great, first of all, that the ladies are playing Pebble Beach. I think it's just elevated women's golf the last few years for the ladies to have a chance to tee up, you know, the national championship on these type of courses. I think it's great for women's golf. Annika, when you walked away 14 years ago, you walked away on top. Uh, you could have still continued to win and dominate. You've always struck me as someone that had great peace of mind with your decision, no regrets. Is part of that because you left still at the top of the game, at the height of your power, as it were? Yeah, I think so. You know, I was very lucky to be able to leave on my own terms. I was, I was ready to leave. As you know, I got married to Mike and we'd start a family and and the brand of businesses and the Annika Foundation. I mean, I still have my golf tie. You know, I still have my partners and I still do, you know, charity events, corporate outings, and like, you, like you've seen the last few years, a few tournaments. So, you know, I do get my golf fix and I think it's nice to be able to have the choices. Not a lot of other athletes, you know, can step away when they feel like they might be forced due to an injury or some other circumstances. And I feel that that just gives me a peace of mind knowing that you know, I gave it all, everything, you know, that, that I possibly could, I did. And and I'm proud of that. And that's, I think, another reason why my motivation is not there. And, and of course, at the age of 52, it's not as easy as it was when I was in my mid-20s, even though sometimes in my mind, I feel like I'm still there. But you get a little bit of wake-up call here and there and realize, you know what, it's, uh, it's a different chapter in my life now, and it's okay. Well, Eamon joked before this interview started that you're now caddying, basically, for your son, Will. Well, the AP writer... Doug Ferguson penned a piece a couple of weeks ago that said you and your sister Charlotta as teenagers actually caddied in the Scandinavian Enterprise Open on the old European Tour, now the DP World Tour. What do you remember about that week? Yeah, that you know, crazy when you look back at different memories, but, it, you know, it was, uh, we had a week off and I headed out to uh, Ulna, which is actually where we host the Scandinavian uh, mix this year. And uh, there was another caddy there and it was another female and... And it turned out to be funny. Funny Sunison, as we know, has had a spectacular caddy career. But we were standing there in the parking lot, which is what you did at that time, just waiting for players to, you know, come up in the car and pick a caddy. Not many of them had regular caddies. 
And of course, you can imagine after two days, uh, Fanny and I were the only one left, the only female. So the last two in, uh, players had to pick us, but they could not have been any nicer. As a matter of fact, the guy that I had, Peter Teravine, and he came with a big tour bag. And then he realized he had me. So the next day he came with a carry bag, which was really nice. So, uh, and I remember after the week, Fanny said that this is so much fun. We should do this again. There's another tournament down south. You want to come down with me? We can do it again. And I said, you know what? I've had my caddy fix. I'm going to focus on my own game. And But I wish you good luck. And, and of course, uh, the rest is history. Annika, in the last couple of days, we've had Judy Rankin and Nancy Lopez on the show paying tribute to Kathy Whitworth, who, who died Christmas Eve at the age of 83. What are your favorite memories of Kathy Whitworth? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, very sorry to hear the passing of Kathy. I mean, she's such an instrumental part of the LPGA history. And it's, you know, I was sitting in a ski lift when I got the news from my husband. And it's one of those things where certain, you know, people passing and you just know exactly where you know, you were, and I, and I just, I will never forget it, but, you know, she was so instrumental. I had a chance to get, you know, spend some time with her, and I mean, what a class act, what a, a, a true legend, inspiration in so many ways, and she, you know, paved the way for so many of us, so we're very grateful for that, and, you know, she was, uh, it's uh, big shoes to fill, for sure, but, you know, her legacy will continue to live on, and, and we're thankful for what she has done, and, and we'll cherish that. In the modern era, Annika, no one's come closer to filling those shoes, than you have. Kathy set that bar in men's or women's golf for the most number of victories at 88. You finished your career with 72. Even though you were ready for that next chapter, did any part of you pause and think that's a bar I could get to, I want to try to get there? Because you did win three times in the year that you walked away from the game. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that is a fantastic record. And, you know, my goal was never to really have the most LPGA wins. Um, you know, I played a little bit more international than she did because obviously they didn't have the tours that we were lucky to have. But, you know, I count my overall wins uh, over the LPGA, but I'm certainly very thankful for my career on the LPGA. And, you know, it, it's nice to have people like that to set the bar. You know, that's what inspires me. That's what makes me go to work, you know, go to the range and go to the gym and work out and, and try to beat some of these records. So, you know, thanks to her, I think a lot of the players out there have felt, you know, if she can do it, then maybe I can at least try and do my best. And, and that's really what records are about to look at. Some are, you know, broken, some are not. But, you know, Kathy's, I think, is going to be very, very difficult to beat. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, like I said, you look back at Kathy and just want to say thank you. And thanks for spending the time. I mean, she was really involved in the LPJ for a long time, you know, despite not playing. And I think that was, you know, being the role models and being out there at tournaments and other players uh, for like myself to meet her is it's so important. Well, you set the bar quite a bit during the height of your power, and in some ways you're probably busier now than you were when you were playing. Thanks for the time. Best to Mike and the kids, and we'll speak to you soon. You got it. Thank you so much, gentlemen, and Happy New Year. You might not be betting on this guy at the Century Tournament of Champions, but you don't want to bet against him. Jordan Spieth had some fun yesterday with a couple of wagering fans out in Maui, but how good a bet is he for the 2023 season? And this guy used to walk the fairways carrying a tour bag. Now he prowls it with a microphone. John Wood will be joining us from Maui with his take on what he's seen at the PGA Tour's first designated event. Hour two of Golf Today starts right now. Golf Today. Let's go back to Kapalua and visit once again. 
with Todd Lewis. Tila, what can you tell us about the conditions? I mean, right now it looks like there's barely any conditions. Well, yesterday the flags were not even really moving. We had no wind, but guess what, guys? Hang on. Oh, we got we got some wind today, uh, <laughs> 10 to 15 miles per hour right now. And as the afternoon progresses, we're going to look at gusts up to 20 miles per hour. So it'll be a tougher scoring day today as you look at the forecast. It's going to creep into the 80s, just a slight chance of rain. And abundant sunshine is in the forecast for this afternoon, which will help dry this golf course up. We did get some rain earlier in the week. The greens are pretty receptive right now. But the fairways, although not firm, they are getting some speed. They are faster than they were uh, earlier in the week. So it's interesting. You see this golf course on the scorecard and it plays over 7,400 yards. Some par fours, 500 yards. But because of the slope and the speed that this course is picking up with these drier conditions, you're going to see players on these long holes and the angle uh, of, of the fairways hit wedges and, and short irons into these greens. So that's what they're doing here. They're just able to get a lot of roll off the fairways and hit receptive greens right now. As the tournament progresses, uh, the PGA Tour is expecting this golf course to firm up a, a bit, especially the greens. So we'll see if the scoring starts to, well, not be as, as many red numbers as we saw over yesterday as the week progresses. Todd, we spent a lot of time talking about two of the three leaders in, in Morikawa and John Ram, not so much about J.J. Spawn. His 64 yesterday, nine under par, was his lowest round on tour in relation to par. What can you tell us about him heading <clears throat> into the round two? Yeah, well, usually rookies, players who are competing in the Century Tournament of Champions here at the Plantation Course, don't have a lot of success. You have to play here a number of times, especially to understand the greens uh, at Kapalua. But he had a beautiful day yesterday shooting that 64. He won in San Antonio, and he felt just arriving here, he felt like he had arrived on the PGA Tour, being around these other champions now that he is a winner as well. He came uh, Saturday to Maui, and he had some strict orders from his wife. His wife is here along with their young child. You got five hours to work on your golf game. That's it. The rest of the time, get back with us. Enjoy the beautiful island of Maui. We're here for a family vacation as well. And like Damon was talking about, he's from Southern California. He's got a chill attitude. This is a chill place. So, you know, he, he, fits, he fits well here on the island of Maui. Uh, hey, Eamon, I do want to give you some friendly advice. <laughs> so John Wood is about to come on the show. Mm -hmm. um, he is wearing the same Aloha Friday style <laughs> shirt that I am wearing. You, you took a swipe at me. I wouldn't mess with John. I merely John goes to Yellowstone if anyone had complimented you. <laughs> John, well, let me finish. John, John goes to Yellowstone and hunts wolves, not with a weapon, with a camera. He's not concerned if they turn on him. He can take them down. He's one tough hombre. I'm, Choose your words carefully with I'm him, I'm pretty okay? confident that that shirt's going to look a lot better on John Wood <laughs> than it's looking on the pride of North Carolina right now, Todd. Well, John Wood lists more weights well, than both know, of you guys two combined. Two each on. <laughs> Great stuff from Tilu in the 50th state of the Union. And we're always looking ahead on this show, this program. You know, it's Friday, but how about Monday's potential headlines, you know? Still two old newspaper guys at heart, right? I, I still read newspapers, not always in my hands, but on my phone. What's going to be the Monday headline from Maui? I'm, I'm going to go with Ram to Rory. Take that. I, to my point earlier, I think John Ram still believes that he is the number one player in the world. I think he's eager to prove it. He's had more wins recently than, than Rory has with the, the win in Dubai, the win in Spain. I, he has 
struggled over the last year by his own standards, particularly in the major championships. But the way he's playing right now, and with his history on this golf course at, at 42 under in his last five rounds, that's a staggering mm. number of birdies. And he doesn't look like a guy who's prone to slow down. In fact, he was asked yesterday, does it now even out? And he said, no, you just keep in this mode. You just keep chasing those birdies because that's the assumption what everyone else is going to do out there. I think he's going to be really hard to beat over the next three days. And I think he wants to make a statement, not necessarily just to Rory McIlroy, but Rory McIlroy is in that position in the world ranking that John Rahm believes is his. And mm. I think that's the statement he wants to make. I got to spend a few minutes with John <clears throat> Rahm at the PGA Tour Players' Championship Partner Forum. Uh, he was in the room. He's just big. Everything about John Rahm, the way he speaks, thinks, carries himself, he carries himself like the best player on the planet. I get scared watching him whenever he misses a putt and he turns away and he's stalking off the green. He's, he moves with force, he that guy. He does, and we were in this ballroom in Ponte Vedra and he just took up a lot of space, it, it, you know, and I don't mean that, like, he's, you know, huge, huge, but he feels huge. He just feels like everything. He is a presence. His expectations are through the roof, and I think you're right. I think the way that he finished 2022 after, for him, a disappointing year, I think it forecasts some very big trophies coming his way in 2023. But is he your headline for Monday morning? He or is are you not. going somewhere else? He's going to have to wait, uh, as he did last year. I'm going to go with Morikawa climbs mountain on Maui. Uh, also someone who was disappointed with his year in 2022. He has some family kismet and connections to this island. Mm -hmm. And Mark Rolfing talked about it. His grandparents uh, once owned a restaurant, Morikawa's, a couple of years ago. Rolfing brought a matchbook from that restaurant to Colin as a keepsake, uh, but even the, the good vibes uh, besides, I feel like with the team that he has around him, the changes that he's made, uh, he's more comfortable with where his irons are going, didn't always feel that way, still played pretty well at that U.S. Open at Brookline despite hitting uh, a few too many draws with his irons. I just feel like with the improvements with the putting, the comfort, he knows how he's trying to go about his business. Adding Parker McLaughlin even temporarily to his team for a bit of a short game lesson as he had last week, in Hawaii. I think all of those things are going to kind of coalesce into a terrific week. He's not afraid to go low. He's a two-time major champ, five wins on the PJ Tour resume. I think he has a special week, especially with the family ties on Maui. I'm inclined to agree with you in the sense that he, he's going to have a special year, or at least mm. be back to what we know as Colin Marikawa's game, because the ball striking mm. hasn't really dropped off at all and what you're seeing particularly this week and even at the hero you're seeing more progress on the putting that he's worked on with Stephen Sweeney you're seeing now the short game practice with Parker McLaughlin which clearly took more with Colin Morikawa than it did when Parker tried to help me <laughs> but uh, we'll discuss that with Parker when he comes on the show next week but wouldn't it be a great start to the year if we had this kind of fiery weekend shootout between Colin Morikawa and John Ram? Then, then we could change your headline to Morikawa climbs mountain on Maui comma Ram volcano erupts. Wouldn't be the first volcano in Hawaii, as we know. But this, this is what the designated events promised us, is it not? The best players in the world meeting more often, jousting on Saturday and Sunday for the big trophies in the game. That's what these changes were all about, having the best players, you know, duking it out for the big prizes on the PGA Tour. And not only the big players because you know every Goliath needs a David and in a way JJ Spawn's playing that role here he mm. he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys yesterday and was every bit as good as them mm. to me that's the mix you're looking for 
is you want to get the best players on site. You can't get them to deliver all mm. the time. If they do, it's a bonus. But when you have a scenario like this where you have a, a fascinating golf course to watch it being yeah. played by the best in the world, and then you see two guys at the peak of their game who are both major champions, and then you have a guy like J.J. Spawn holding his own with them. To me, it sets up what a, hopefully will turn out to be a fairly dramatic next few days. One of the players who has taken apart this golf course in the past, Jordan Spieth, still to come on golf today. Some fans were wagering on Jordan Spieth yesterday in round one. It got us thinking, if we're betting on Jordan in 2023, that conversation is on the way. Welcome back to Golf Today, the island of Maui. One of spontaneous moments, big enough to provide lots of options, but small enough to take the work out of choosing. Endless opportunities for spur-of-the-moment fun. You can be as relaxed or as active as you choose on Maui. Take a look at the leaderboard at round two. Century Tournament of Champions. We got Golf Central pregame at five. Then we got round two coverage at six. We got our colleague John Wood now joining us from Maui. Can I just say, John, that's a most elegant shirt that you're wearing. <laughs> it's the finest shirt we've actually seen from Maui today. It looks great on you. I just think I can pull off all that stuff, you know, Amen. It's, uh, it's just something I'm, I'm gifted with. Well, should we compare it to, to Todd Lewis? I mean, you're basically giving him credit for the shirt because you were banging on T. Let... Well, you know, caddies are known for their fashion sense, their elegance. And Todd's a little Zoolander on the left there. But John Wood, you know, that's a, a rugged man given a rugged look there in Maui. I've, I've, speaking of caddies, I've seen Billy Foster out here today on Holoha Friday. He looks like Magnum P.I., so let's make sure we get a shot of him today at some point. What Please a shirt he brought out. Take a snap for us, and we'll, we'll put it on later in the show. And speaking of caddies, I mean, you've caddied here. And we're seeing tons of birdies and eagles. How did you and your player prepare for a track meet, a birdie fest, as opposed to a grind fest? Yeah, that's a great question. Yesterday, this place had no wind, and without wind, it's kind of defenseless. Um, you know, they hit so many greens here. The fairways are, are very generous. We need some wind, so we've got it today. But yesterday, you had to step out on that first tee knowing there was no wind. You're getting some run in the fairways, which we haven't had in years, but the greens are still receptive, so it was just a perfect storm. Uh, and it can be a little frustrating. You get off to a slow start, and slow start maybe, you know, one under through five or six. You feel like you're getting lapped. So you just have to stay patient, know the birdies are there. You can't go overly aggressive and change your entire game plan because of that. You just have to keep going uh, and know the birdies will be there. John, this is a kind of a, a tough week in some ways to analyze where guys are with their game because, you know, the fairways are a mile wide, the greens are enormous, the winds are, are fickle. But how tough is it for players and caddies as well? We've got over 400 feet of elevation change out there. So you've you got to assume a lot of conventional numbers just go out the window for these guys? No question about it. I was looking at the yardage book yesterday. The caddies and, and players have to figure out a total of 466 yards in altitude differences out here. That means uphill and downhill. So it's a whole nother, there's very few shots that are just dead level. You don't have to factor something in. Add to that a little bit of wind, which we have today. The greens are big and they're receptive and they're easy to hit, but it's very hard to get the ball close on a day like today. So we'll see if the scores get a little tougher today. So what's the skill set we need to be looking at for the weekend here, John? Is it math or is it, you know, wedge player? What, what should we be looking at for the winner on Sunday from this point on? 
I think wedge play is huge, and I also think being able to control your trajectory. We're supposed to have some wind the rest of the way, which is great for this golf course. You can pick the right shot and the right club, but if you don't match your trajectory with the wind out here, it's not going to be the right club. So guys who can control their flight, you know, have it hit it high when they need to, low when they need to, um, I think have, will have a huge advantage. And obviously so much of the field hits greens and regulation here that you have to putt. Um, you're going to have long putts, so lag putting has to be good. But if I could choose one thing, it would be proximity to hole. Guys who are figuring out the wind and the elevation changes and getting the ball close to the hole. Woody, being inside the ropes with John Rahm is something to behold. I left Whistling Straits feeling like he was the unquestioned best player in the game. Bit of a drop-off early last season, but he ended the year really strong on the DP World Tour. What do you see from him as a, from a skill set standpoint, just watching him ball strike his way around this golf course? Uh, there's just no weaknesses there. There's, there's no part of the game where you point to and say uh, he needs to get a lot better at this to be you know, world class. He's good at everything. He's great at most things and good at the others. So there's no real weaknesses. If there was a weakness early on, I think people would have pointed to maybe his, his attitude. And, and, uh, but now he, he, he still gets angry, but that anger goes out the window in a heartbeat, and that's fine. You know, you've seen lots of great players get angry over the years, and it happens. But as long as you can get rid of it quickly, which Rom does – um, he moves on, you know, like it, like it never happened. Um, it's not a problem, and I think it's uh, I think it bodes well. That's his personality. If he were to try and change that and be, you know, cool and calm and Fred Couples out there, I don't think he'd be the same player. So uh, I think he's got a good handle of what he wants to do out there, physically and mentally. Well, even with all the hills out there, you, you got this HD TV. I mean, the folks can see how how much undulation there's on the golf course. There, there's this story I went to Kapalua two decades ago about Tiger's old caddy Steve Williams running the golf course in a wager with Tiger and Butch. Do you know what I'm talking about? He was trying to, like, touch the back of the tee box in a certain amount of time. T tell the folks that story if you remember it, Woody. I, I believe he had to run. I'm not sure if it was the front or the back. I think it was the front in under a half hour, um, and he ended up doing it in, in 26 minutes is my understanding, uh, which is ridiculous. I don't think I can drive the front nine in a cart in 26 minutes or left, so pretty impressive from Steve Williams. I've heard that Mark Urbanic, who is T Tony Finau's caddy, actually broke that time a couple years ago, so I'll have to do some investigating and get back to you guys on that. That's the first time I've ever heard of a caddy having a better record than the player does. That's pretty uh. impressive. John, I'm curious about the, the status here as the first designated event because there's been this perception that other events that are not in the designated category yet will suffer from it. But look here at the commitments for a couple of events coming up here. The American Express has guys like Cantley and Finau and Sam Burns and Ram and hopefully Sandra Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler. And then the Farmers Insurance coming up after that has an equally robust field with a lot of the same guys adding in Morikawa and Homa. Do you think it's at this stage, John, a little premature to say other events are going to suffer? Or do you think that becomes a valid concern later in the season when the, the time these guys have is a little bit more compressed around major events? I think it's too early to tell, to be honest with you. I think the fact, I believe they have to add three events outside of the designated events. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, those aren't going to be all at the same event. So those top players are really going to be spread out in three other events they have to play throughout the year. So will they be as good as the designated fields? Probably not. But I think every tournament almost is still going to get a handful of the top players. 
Um, and, and not to mention the fact that, that now that we have this, we're, those players are going to be playing against each other so much more often than they have. Um, I think it's going to be great, but I think it's going to be an adjustment period. This is their first go at it, and I think you know in the next two or three years they'll probably make adjustments as they did to uh, the FedEx playoff system um, until they have it where they think it's right. So I, I think it's a it's a good place to start, and um, I think later in the year I think players are you're still going to have to see players add those events. So like I said, I think they're going to be spread out. People are going to be surprised at how often you get really good fields that might not necessarily be designated events. Woody, at the top of this hour, Eamon asked me if this felt like a special event, this designated event. You're on the ground on Maui. Does it feel different, elevated, special at the Century Tournament of Champions? I'll tell you, this tournament to me always felt special, you know, even before designated tournaments, things like that. Um, it always felt like if you, you earned a spot here by being one of the best of the previous year, uh, it was just a great place to start from. It was a four-round four four tournament with no cut. Um, you got off to a good start on the season. You, you, you're around winners and guys who played great, so it kind of puts you in that right mindset. So this tournament to me always had that feeling, um, and I think it, it's, it's even more now that it's a designated event, but um, it's always had that feeling to me here. Has anyone surprised you through the first round and part of the second round so far yet, John, in terms of maybe they have a little more holiday rust than you expected or somebody who's actually played better than you had anticipated? Uh, you know, the guy that I keep pointing to is, is Tom Kim. He just, he just amazes me. It's a brand-new golf course for him. Uh, and there's so much to learn here, and I think Joe Scoverns helped him out a lot in, in, in shortening that learning curve on this golf course but the guy just doesn't cease to amaze me he's he's 20 years old and um joe madden the great baseball manager has these five levels of being a professional it's one you're happy to be here two i think i belong here i'm going to survive here three i know i belong here four i want to make as much money as i can and five i want to win every event and tom kim to me has bypassed those first four very quickly and he's in that I want to win every event mode, which I think the great players do, and they get to there quickly. Jordan, Tiger, uh, Justin, they, they all got to that place really quickly in their career. And I think Tom Kim is already there at 20 years old. That um, He knows he belongs. He thinks he can be one of the best, and he wants to win every week. So um, that's the guy who I, I'm loving to watch play golf right now. Yeah, Tom Kim passing go and collecting that $200. Woody, we'll listen to you on the broadcast later. Might not get to see that shirt, but we appreciate the time and knowledge. Enjoy round two, buddy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, here's the U.S. Open champion, Matt Fitzpatrick, arriving for the second round. He's going off at 5.05 Eastern with the world number two, Scotty Scheffler. So hit the gala. He's out there hitting balls. He's in the field courtesy of making the Tour Championship top 30 in the FedEx Cup points for last season. He goes off 4.40 Eastern Time with Hideki Matsuyama. We'll be right back. Back on golf today, Jordan Spieth back in 2016 caught off a couple of major championships. One of the century tournament champions as the number one ranked player in the world eight-shot win for PGA Tour victory number seven at the time. I'll tell you, he did it in different ways, scrambling. This flashback now to yesterday. This is for four. It's trying to save par at 16, Amy. Imagine the nerve it takes to swing that hard from that distance. I, I, I don't, really. I mean, he, he's got the nerves of, of, a, of a cat burglar. 
he does. Just continues to find ways to get the ball in the hole. It tees off today at 4.30 Eastern time with Victor Hava, another guy who plays well, the resort type of vibe. Now, yesterday was another strange moment for Speed that involved some fans making some wagers on George. Yeah. You guys are fine. I appreciate the exchange of money. I'd be doing the same thing, but I could just hear you gambling right off the back of the green. Sorry, <laughs> all good. Sorry, all good, says the three-time major champ. Is there a better player in golf? To gamble on and we can see here what his odds are to win this week at, at plus 2000 but you never know what you're going to get with this guy who better to gamble on because you didn't know whether he was going to three jack that or make it it's a great play. i think it'd be pretty stressful to gamble on, on jordan spieth but that's the question are you betting on jordan spieth in 2023 be it a win be it Ryder cup be it major championship are you betting on spieth i don't know if I'm betting on him, but I'm sure as heck not betting against him. Mm. You, you kind of learn that lesson the hard way with Jordan Spieth over the years. He's a guy who, uh, uh, this is why this course to me is, is perfect for a guy like Jordan Spieth. And yesterday was actually his best opening round since he won by eight shots seven years ago, is this is a course that tests and demands imagination. And in a way, it, it demands that kind of stoicism that very few tour venues do, because you can see great shots end up in less favorable positions because of the, the contours out there. It's very much kind of a links mentality you need out there to, to play the ground game and accept what comes with it. And Jordan Spieth does that better than anyone else. And we saw that particularly in that few year stretch where he seemed to take one gut punch after another. He's fought his way back from that, become a winner on the PGA Tour again. He, he's the kind of guy he's He's never dull. He's never had a dull shot in his life. He doesn't play a dull round. You just even watch the social media conversation around the PGA Tour when Jordan Spieth is on TV on Sundays. He is the subject of conversation, whether or not he's winning. It's just that roller coaster highs and lows. I will bet on him in certain situations <laughs> that demand attitude yeah. uh, and imagination. I don't know that I would necessarily bet on him wholesale to have a great mm. year. Very much like Tom Watson. Tom Watson made a lot of Tom Watson pars, hitting the ball crooked, but finding a way to get the ball in the hole. He hit the ball in trouble and then say, watch what I'm about to do here and hit an amazing shot. And I think Tom Watson and Jordan Spieth have a lot of similarities. I love how you make the Lynx golf comparison because I think Jordan Spieth's skill set, like Tom Watson, very strong at Augusta National, very strong at the Open. Jordan Spieth has won now back-to-back -back years mm -hmm. on the PGA Tour. Valero and RBC. And I always think he'll have a puncher's chance at Augusta National where he has a win and two seconds and two-thirds and a puncher's chance at the Open where he has a win, a second, a fourth, an eighth, and a ninth. So I may not bet on him to win a major championship, but I will not count him out, and I will respect the resume, and clearly he is back to his winning ways. Isn't there a, a great comparison, though, between Spieth and Colin Morikawa in that the, the rise was meteoric oh. at the start of their career? And then suddenly there's plateaus. There, you start to hit some potholes along the way. And obviously Spieth's farther into his career than Colin Morikawa is, but Morikawa won majors essentially in his first two years right. in the job. And then last year, he kind of flatlined, didn't win at all and was testy towards the end of the year when being asked yeah. about that and has reassessed, hired his first ever putting coach, hired his first ever chipping coach in Parker McLaughlin. So there, there's an adjustment that he's making. And in a way, it kind of makes me...
think of the value we mentioned earlier of Tom Kim seeking out guys like Jordan Spieth for advice because Tom Kim is on that upward trajectory right now, hasn't plateaued, hasn't hit the speed bumps right. at all. And maybe he's going to be better prepared for that down the road from taking the experience of others. But Jordan Spieth has come out on the other side of the gut punches. He doesn't play with the kind of youthful innocence that he did going back to 2014, 2015 in his, his two major season yeah. year. But I think he this is probably more realistic for the rest of Jordan Spieth's peak years is the idea of picking off a couple of titles here and there. He doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to go on a streak of winning four or five, six times in a year now. I think he's a little bit more seasoned, but to the comment we made earlier about Padraig Harrington's observation, mm. the innocence has died there, but the, there is a little wisdom that came with that. I think he plays with bruises, uh, the bruises that have healed. And I think Roy McIlroy... You get bruises watching you him do, play. And Rory has come through as well, but the, the major championship clock has not restarted. And it's fascinating to see golf in this era. Forever, it was guys struggled in their 20s. You know, when's Phil going to win that first major? Adam Scott, Justin Rose, you, you waited and you waited. For Spieth and Rory, the, the success came so early. And then the struggle, relatively speaking, to start that major championship clock again. So, yes, both men have won some big-time tournaments since their last major. But I guess the question is, will they be able to find that major championship success again? Can they be who they were? Or has that ship sailed? And Jordan will never have another 2015 and Rory will never have another 2014. Well, they also don't need another 2015 or another 2014 to check that box. First two majors of the year, those are the two guys going for the career mm. Grand Slam. And you have to remember, you mentioned Phil Mickels in there. Yes, Rory has four majors, Jordan has three. Both of them are still younger than Phil Mickelson is, was when he got his first yeah. major title. All the way back in 2004, he was almost 34 years old at that point. So they, they do have time on their side. As much as this narrative builds up and we hang this millstone around their neck mm. of when are you going to get it, it'll be eight years now for Rory. It's six years since Jordan mm. won a major because the time just goes like that in this game, but they have plenty of time left.